encouraged for you to be able to be here uh, this morning with us. Uh, If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for being with us here uh, this morning. Uh, Many of you who are maybe homebound uh, for health reasons or you're traveling, you're home with sick kids or whatever, you might be just kind of stumbling on this link somehow and you are here, you're joining with us, Uh, you are with us in spirit. Uh, We're going to have a communion Sunday, so if you could prepare yourself at home, you can grab your own elements, uh, bread and juice or a glass of wine, uh, and just prepare yourself as we participate in communion a little bit later. I'm going to say a word of prayer as we begin our time together. Father, we, uh, as we just prayed together, it is your breath in our lungs, and so you enable us to pour out, to breathe out your praises today, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we brought with us through these doors. May you meet us where we are. May you transform us because we sat under the truth, the living, breathing truth of God's word today. So transform us, Lord. Speak to us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Psalm 121 in this series called The Antidote. Um, As you turn in your Bibles, your copy of the Bibles, we have... Bible's in the seat backs in front of you, you can, you can use. We'll also have it up on the screen in a little bit. Uh, I wasn't always a pastor. Some of you know this. I was a, in the investment world. I was a wealth manager for a short stint. I had a brief stint in that world. And uh, you might say, man, that is like complete opposite of pastoral ministry. And in some ways it is, but there's actually quite a lot of transferable skills. Uh, one of the most significant is helping people navigate thrive in, kind of cope or manage times of uncertainty. Uh, Economic uncertainty, like the kind of uncertainty we're experiencing right now in in our world. Helping people navigate that, because many of my clients, and if you're in this world, you know this as well, they tend to fall into one of two sort of pits, pitfalls. The first is into foolishness, the foolish just impulsive decisions, chasing after what seems to be hot, chasing after the next big thing, you know, and I have to talk them down. No, do not put your entire retirement into Bitcoin. Bad idea, okay? So on one hand, it's just like kind of the foolish foolish impulsiveness during times of uncertainty. The other one is freezing. Freezing, not investing anymore, withdrawing all your money and sort of burying it in the backyard, so to speak. And say, no, don't do that. Inevitably, you're going to sell at the wrong time, and then you're going to want to buy at the wrong time. All right? So this is just like some free advice, financial advice for you this morning. This is just free uh, on the side. But of course, we don't just experience uncertainty economically or in our 401ks, do we? We experience uncertainty of all kinds in life. Join me in this little exercise for a moment. Think about your life one year ago from today. And think about all the things, good, bad, or indifferent, that you did not foresee coming your way over this past year. Think about that for a moment. Probably if I gave you enough time, you could fill up a page or two of things that you did not foresee coming. Now, Don't just go back a year, go over the last decade. Go back the last decade of your life and all the things that you did not expect to show up in your life that are here in your life today. 
we could probably take the entire service talking about all the things that we never saw coming. Things that I'm sure you would find things in your life, things that you didn't see coming in your finances, things that you didn't see coming in your job or your, your, your family, marriage or divorce, sadly. Things that you didn't see coming in where you would live or things in this world, in politics or global events or your faith or changes in relationships and with friendships. On and on it goes. Now, what if we take that same exercise, instead of looking backwards, what if we look forward? So one year into the future, your future self sitting right here in 2024. I wonder what kinds of things that you never saw coming will be in your life a year from now. What about 10 years from now? Think about all the things that could be in your life 10 years from now. Things, questions that might come to mind like, Will I be married? Will I be widowed? How will my kids turn out? What changes are going to happen in my health? Am I going to be able to retire? Will a Philadelphia team win a championship at some point over the next decade? What about things in our world? What about political movements? What about war? What's going to happen to our values? Will AI take over the entire planet? <laughs> yes, okay. Got a prognosticator, Nostradamus over here. Will I even be on this planet? I mean, so any of you feeling a little anxious as you think about all the unknowns that could come in our future? See, the, the reality is all of us need to cope with, to manage, to navigate, and ultimately be able to thrive in the midst of uncertainties of life. Now, the world really doesn't have a whole lot to cope with this. The world will either draw you toward a nihilistic perspective, to just kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, it's all fate, nothing you can do is going to change it. It all kind of ends with a darkness. Or to say, you are the captain of your own ship. You are the master of your own fate. You take life by the horns, and you make your own destiny. But I think the psalmist gives us a different perspective, gives us an antidote during times of uncertainty so that we can avoid these pitfalls, the ways of the world. It's going to show us two things. One, where to look for uncertainty, and secondly, how to navigate or how to walk in uncertainty. So that gives you a little bit of an outline of where we're headed in Psalm 121. So let's first look at where to look in uncertainty. Verse 1, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascents. Do you see that as a header? A psalm of ascents, there's at least 14 of these in the psalms. These were psalms that the pilgrims of the Old Testament, the Jewish uh, people would sing to each other as they're walking, making that long journey from wherever they, else they are, around Jerusalem, around Israel, up to Jerusalem, to the holy city. They would go at least once a year, um, up to three times a year, particularly for Passover. And I say they would go up on this journey because Jerusalem is almost, at some places, 
about 3,000 feet in elevation above sea level. And as you would go up, you can go up in modern days, you travel the road up to Jerusalem, and those last 16 miles, you're climbing almost 3,000 vertical feet in 16 miles, and your ears pop the entire way you go up to Jerusalem. And in the old days, back before the modern world, uh, this would have been a very dangerous journey. There's a road that was most commonly used called the Jericho Road. I'll show you a picture of this. This is a modern, somebody, a couple of people navigating that ancient road, Jericho Road. You would have to travel through these mountains. You would travel through these crags and hidden caves, and it was a dangerous journey. You don't know if there might be bandits, robbers coming after you. Uh, you didn't know if there'd be wild animals, uh, not to mention the elements that that could break out out of, out, of, out of nowhere as you're traveling up. This is a very dangerous journey. And so when the psalmist is saying, I look to the mountains on this psalm of ascent, where does my help come from? He's looking out of the, up to the mountains at the beginning of the journey saying, I'm about to go into the unknown. I'm about to go into, the uncertain, into uncertainty. There may be, might be trouble and danger along the way. Where is my help going to come from? What a great question to ask. Isn't this a question that we have to ask ourselves? Where do my, does my help come from? What am I relying on for my security? I'm just old enough to remember the duck and cover drills. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but in the 80s, at the school I was in, we'd have duck and cover drills where you duck under your desk, right? You practice this when, a, when you know, the, the alarm goes off. And this, of course, was just in case a nuclear bomb drops onto your, your town, you hide under your desk, right? <laughs> Looking back, it's kind of like, is that desk really going to do a whole lot in a nuclear bomb threat? Probably not. But it, was, it kind of felt like a security in the moment, but it was a false security, at least from that danger. But don't we hold on to a lot of false securities? Don't we run to things that we think are going to protect us that can't? Most people in this world hold on to power and influence as their security in life, but power and influence can't save you from a life-threatening illness. Money, it can solve some problems, but it can't protect you from relationships falling apart. Your physical beauty can't protect you from devastating news. Maybe the thing that you hold on to most securely is your family, and family is a great gift of God. But even that is temporary, and, it, and family is more susceptible than we like to believe, isn't it? We, we try to hold on to family. We think we can keep them fixed in a certain state. Any of you parents there, you th think back to that moment. Maybe it's right now where it's like, man, if I could just keep them right where they are in that place, and then you blink and it's gone. That moment has passed. Your children move away. Or they wander away. Or infighting in the family breaks apart relationships, and it's not like it once was. Or people have illnesses or eventually pass away. See, all forms of security that we cling to ultimately fail us if we just enter one element into the conversation, which is time. 
and not even that much time, and things that we hold on to as secure become insecure. As the late, great Tim Keller once said, beautiful flowers will be in the ground decaying soon, and they are only on a slightly faster path than us, but it is the same path. So how we answer this question is critical because we not only need security for the temporal things in this life, we need a security that goes beyond the grave, that can defeat time. So where do we get it? Where do we look for it? Well, the psalmist immediately has an answer to this question. Verse two, my help, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist facing the uncertainty of the journey ahead, looking at The mountain and everything it represents looks beyond the mountain to look into the face of God and see that God is bigger, stronger, and more secure than any mountain could ever be. In fact, God is the maker of the mountain, and not only the maker of the mountain, but the maker of the heavens and earth, which means long after the mountain is gone, God is still there. God is still secure. See, in looking beyond the mountain and all of its uncertainty, Looking into the face of God, the psalmist considers two ways that God helps us in this passage. The first is God's help is consistent. He's consistent. Verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. What a great comfort. Isn't that a great comfort knowing that God never sleeps? Have you ever fallen asleep at a time when you should have been awake? Check out this YouTube short. Eat fresh, huh? <laughs> not so fresh. Poor, poor lady. Yeah, we are not particularly good at staying awake when we're supposed to be awake. Are, are, have you ever been in a place where you're supposed to be keeping watch and you get distracted? You're supposed to be watching the kids? You're supposed to be watching the dog? See, we are finite, weak easily distracted. You know, my family will be watching a movie and uh, I'll be laughing and go to say something to Shannon. I'll look over. Asleep. Sorry, honey. I'm not looking that way for the rest of the sermon. But God, here's the great thing about God. He doesn't need naps. God will never fall asleep on us. He does not grow tired. He, he loves to, he longs to watch over us like a good shepherd with his flock. And this is one of the reasons that you and I can rest. We can truly, deeply rest. Rest from our worry. Rest from our fears and anxiety. Rest from our striving. Why? Because we can sleep when he's awake. We can rest because he never stops working for us. See, the psalmist sees God beyond the mountains of uncertainty. He also sees that God's help is not only constant, but is comprehensive. Verse 5, the Lord watches over you. 
The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. During the journey, the psalmist would have inevitably faced the uncertainties of a scorching heat during the day, of the unknown in the darkness. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have street lights. It was dark. The uncertainties of the cold at night. He talks here of his coming and going, which might have meant the trip up to Jerusalem and the way back. It might have been his birth, his coming into this world, his death, his going out of this world. But he's saying in any and all situations, in the totality of life's experience, God is keeping watch. He's our protector. And so friends, remember that when we look beyond the mountain of uncertainties, when we look to the face of God and the very character of God, We see the maker of heaven and earth, and we will find that there is not a single facet of our lives where God's watchful eye is not looking over us. You say, okay, Nate, you know what? Listen, I hear these promises, and I really want to believe them, but if if I'm honest with with myself, isn't this all just kind of wishful thinking? Isn't this just wishful thinking? I mean, think about it. God protects me from all harm? I mean, really? That hasn't been my experience in life. You might say, God, where were you when you fill in your blank? I mean, how do we take this psalm? God, sometimes he even seems to let me face harm when I'm obeying even when I'm doing really well, even when I'm really trusting him. I mean, isn't that the story of Job's life? Who was more godly than Job? And yet, he had all kinds of harm come into his life, didn't he? Didn't Jesus himself say that you should expect trouble? That you should expect suffering and persecution? So how do we marry these two things together? How do we take the promises in this psalm? I want to give you three perspectives to apply the the truth of these psalms into our lives rightly, okay? So here's the first perspective. We might say the literal perspective. This is not a promise. This psalm is not a promise that we can bank on literally for all time. And the reason is because this promise was given to a specific group of people, the covenant people of God, the Jewish pilgrims, at this time in history. This was what we might call a corporate promise of God, That is, much like God's promise to bring the Jewish people into the promised land, out of the desert, out of the wilderness, into the promised land. That was his promise. Did every single Jewish people, person, make it out of the wilderness? No. But the people of God made it just as God said they would. What about the people in exile, the Jewish people in in exile? He promised that he would bring them back to the land. See, it was a corporate promise that God is guarding them. God will provide for them so that they are able to come and worship him as he calls them to. And so God, does God provide for us physically? Does God do miracles? Absolutely. He does. He's done it in my life. I hope you've seen him do this in your life. But this text is not a name it and claim it passage of scripture. We can't say, hey, if you have enough faith, God won't let your foot slip. God won't let you get a sunburn when you're out in the sun. God will will protect you from getting sick and nothing will ever bad happen to you. No, no, no. We can't do that with this psalm. 
This was for a particular group of people at a particular time to fulfill literally. But there is, secondly, a spiritual perspective on this psalm. Notice that the psalmist says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He does not say that God will give you a completely pain-free, hardship-free, comfortable life. That's not what he says. That's how we define no harm, but that's not how God defines no harm. Do you know the same word, harm, is translated as evil in Scripture? It's the same word. It's the word rach in the Hebrew. And this word primarily is a word that's talking about moral and spiritual harm or evil. That's the primary context of this term. So for us spiritually, harm is whatever keeps us from God's ultimate purposes in our life. You say, well, what is God's ultimate purpose for my life? Well, to find that answer as a Christian, we need to look to maybe one of the greatest texts in Scripture, but also one of the most misused promises in Scripture, Romans 8, 28 and 29, where the Apostle Paul says this, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, what is your purpose, God? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, listen, to be conformed to the image of his son. What is God's purpose for you? What is God working all things for good for you so that you would be like his son, Jesus? That's the good. And so, So with this kind of perspective, this spiritual perspective, it reshapes the words harm and good, doesn't it? Because what is good, therefore, or rather, what is harm? Harm would then be anything that keeps us from becoming like Jesus Christ. Anything that prevents us from becoming more like Jesus Christ, which might include things that we consider harm. Loss, tragedy, pain, what about things, things that we consider good? Things that we consider good, God might consider harms. Things like prosperity. Things like getting your desires fulfilled. Things like wealth or pleasure or comforts could be, in certain contexts, harm. If they keep us from becoming more like Jesus. So then what is the term good? Good then becomes anything that God uses to accomplish his purposes in forming Christ in us things that we might consider bad for us. Do you see what I'm saying? The British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, he's a Christian, listen to what he said looking back over his life. He says this, contrary to what I would have expected, I look back now on experiences that at the time seemed especially devastating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete trustworthiness and truthfulness, that everything of value that I've learned over my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction, not comfort and ease. See, that's a perspective that comes often toward the end of our life. If you've lived any number of years, you can say, this is so true. I didn't think it could possibly be, be true, but looking back, I see what God was up to. I begin to get a glimpse of the good he's working in me, even through affliction. 
This is the spiritual perspective, but there's a third perspective here in this text, which is an eternal perspective. Did you notice what the psalmist said at the end of the song? He said, God will watch over us both now and forevermore. He has eternity in view in, this, in the promise of this psalm. Through the Spirit, the psalm was pointing him to an eternal perspective, an eternal security. See, what we need to do with this psalm is we need to step back and reinterpret it in light of the end of the story, the end of the scriptures, in light of the whole of the scripture. Do you remember the movie Sixth Sense? Do you remember that, Bruce Willis movie? The thing that I love about that movie is that you can never watch it the same way twice, right? By the way, if somehow in the last 20 years you have not yet seen this movie, or if you're a younger person and you don't want to know how this goes, just, you know, do one of this, these, la, 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 right? Don't listen. Spoiler alert. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Okay? So Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. And after you know that, you go back and watch the movie and you watch it completely different. Oh, my goodness. The, the beginning is completely different now that you know how it ends. And that is really how we need to read this psalm. We need to read this psalm in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's at the cross where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, defeated the mountain for us. He defeated everything that the mountain symbolized. The uncertainty, the trouble, the danger, all the evil in us and all the evil in this world, even ultimately death itself, will be swallowed up in victory, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. See, it's, it's because of that that we can read this psalm and know that Jesus is the ultimate antidote to uncertainty. Why? Because he's made certain our eternal security because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so if you're, today, you're here today, I don't want you reading this psalm without being able to claim every promise that this psalm makes to you. And the only way that you can claim these promises of this psalm is in Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you believe that he died, was buried, and rose again for the forgiveness of your personal sin, you're not trusting your own good work, your own journey but you're trusting Jesus' journey to that cross and his resurrection to reunite you with God. If you're trusting that, then this psalm and the promises of this psalm are for you today. I hope you'll do that. I hope you've done that. So we want to end this time together, in the last few minutes that we have, to really talk about, just briefly, how do we then walk in uncertainty? Say, okay, all of that's true, and I get all of that, but how do I walk in the day-to-day because there's just uncertainties in my life right now. There's things with my health or my finances or my family. Man, how do I keep going forward? And so here's, here's really how I'd summarize what the psalmist is telling us here. Keep moving forward. Keep moving toward Jerusalem and sing along the way. That's what this psalm is really all about. Keep moving toward Jerusalem and sing. Don't forget to sing along the way. Because in spite of the dangers, toils, and snares, as the psalm goes, the, the pilgrims in this trip 
continued to walk toward Jerusalem. And they sang these songs of ascent. And they sang them to one another, which is why I think corporate singing together, when we're together, is so important. Because we're singing these songs of what we believe about God and who he is and what he's done. And sometimes, can I be honest, when when I'm there, I just stop singing because I want to hear from you because there might be a doubt in my life or an area of unbelief in my life or an area I'm struggling in. And I just need to hear your belief because it helps me believe. It helps encourage me, and I hope I encourage you when I sing, maybe not the people right next to me. See, when we sing together, it renews our faith. It reminds us of the, of the, the, the trust that we have in Jesus and these promises. And we continue to move toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem, in the time of these pilgrims, represented the place where God would meet them. And for us, Jerusalem is a symbol of the destiny of the eternal dwelling where we will be with him forever and ever in his holy city. If you remember the book Pilgrim's Progress, it's the celestial city. We're on the way there. See, we keep moving and we keep worshiping. This is the kind of resilience that should define our Christian lives. Think about the testimony of Paul. Did he face uncertainties? Yeah, you bet. Guess what he said? But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So because of that, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and he will bring me safely into his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom. This is the very same mindset that the psalmist had in Psalm 121. It's the same faith that these Old Testament pilgrims had. Here's the thing. There are some of us here we're honest with ourselves, we are so frozen by uncertainty. We are just, we're, our feet are just in the solid ice because of the thousand things, the thousand possible outcomes of what could go wrong. And we are so afraid to make a move. We are so afraid of what might happen in our lives. We're dominated by fear, dominated by the unknown. We're dead in the water. We can't get off top dead center. And when we're like that, we, it's impossible to live the kind of life that Scripture points us to. We can't live like that. Not if we want to accomplish the things that God has given us and fulfill his purposes for our lives. See, God loves to steer a moving ship. So start pointing north. Start pointing toward Jerusalem and keep moving forward and sing. Do you remember the most, do you know the most repeated command in all of Scripture? The most repeated command in all of Scripture is do not fear. Do not fear. Do you know what the most repeated promise of all of Scripture is? I will be with you. Isn't that interesting how those two things go hand in hand? Why can we not fear? Because God will be with us. And so on this journey toward Jerusalem, he's with you. He's with you in your loneliness that maybe used to be occupied by a spouse. He's with you. So do not be afraid. Keep singing his songs of provision. He's with you even in the night when you wake up with anxiety over your kids, over a relationship, over your finances. He's with you. Keep singing of his goodness. He's with you when you're afraid to live out your faith in a world where increasingly it seems like it's set in its values against the things of God. He's with you. Keep singing of his power and his promises. Keep singing. Keep moving forward. 
And remember that you and I are indestructible, indestructible until God has fulfilled his purposes in you and in me. Just a couple of weeks ago, I visited a, a couple uh, members of our church, uh, the Straley's, Kevin and Elle, and maybe they're watching today. Kevin has a very serious health condition which prevents him from um, really going much anywhere other than his house and doctor visits. And it's just a, a tough situation that he finds himself in. So I went to go and encourage him and found by trying to encourage him, I was actually the one that was far more encouraged. You ever have that happen when you meet with the people of God? I end up so encouraged by him because Kevin and Elle just spoke of the, the, and, and sung of the promises of God in their life, of the security of God, that their identity is in Christ that they long for that holy city one day when the Lord provides that opportunity to go there. They were eager about the, the opportunities that they had right in front of them to make an influence for him, going to doctor visits and being able to proclaim their trust in Jesus and give witness to him. And I think if Kevin and Elle were here with us today, they would say, keep moving forward. Keep singing of God's goodness even when life is uncertain. Friends, what uncertainty is in your life right now that's keeping you from moving toward Jerusalem? What uncertainties are in your life right now that is locking your feet in ice or discouraging you so that you can't sing? I want to invite you, we're going to take this time of communion, Lord's Supper together, to ponder on that and confess that to the Lord and ask for his presence and his power over you. Would you just close your eyes and reflect for a moment?